Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today, we are welcoming Alexis and Justin Black back to the podcast. Their book, Redefining Normal, How Two Foster Kids Beat the Odds and Discovered Healing, Happiness, and Love, was just released this week. You can get it on Amazon. We're going to talk about their book. And since it's National Adoption Awareness Month, Alexis was just adopted in December at 26 years old. And we're going to talk about that, too. So thank you both for being with us. We're excited to have you back on Fostering Change. Yes, absolutely. We're so excited to be here. So it's pretty exciting that, you know, it's National Adoption Awareness Month and you have an amazing new book that's coming out called Redefining Normal. And in your book, you do talk about the whole process of from foster care. um, And now to hear that you've you've actually been adopted. um, I'm in the process. My husband and I are in the process of adopting our fifth child, who by the time we finish, he'll be in his 20s. So I would love to know, um, you know, before we start talking about the book, I want to know about how you got to this point at the age of 26 to take that step and say, you know what, I, I want to be adopted. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, from last episode, we did talk a bit about our background, um, but I can share a little bit about that. Um, I did go into foster care at 13, um, and I lived with my aunt and uncle at the time, and um, they wanted to adopt me, but I made it very clear that I didn't want to be adopted um, because the household wasn't wasn't a healthy environment, and I didn't want to stay there. And so um, my junior year of high school, they kicked me out, and that's when I met my foster now adoptive parents, and I moved in with them um, my junior year, and I lived with them for only about six months before they moved, and I moved in with their parents. So their parents got licensed so I could stay in the family and I could stay in the same high school, which was incredible because I was at my 10th school at that time. Um, and so it was a great way for me to um, – to stay in the community that I was, that I was used to, um, and the French group that I made. And, and I actually wanted them to adopt me, um, after only living with them for about six months, but I was, I was really heartbroken that they moved away. Um, and they, they told me that they were moving, um, and now in hindsight, looking back on it, but I think I was in denial and I didn't want to hear that just because I felt so comfortable and welcome with them, um, that I just couldn't imagine them moving. And so, I started college um, at the University of Michigan Flint, but then I transferred to uh, Western Michigan University where they lived and also where they graduated from. And so I transferred there mainly to be closer to them and then um, started to get closer uh, during that time, seeing them every week at least. And I knew I wanted to be adopted, but at the same time, I didn't want to lose my health insurance. And so um, in Michigan, and maybe nationally, but in Michigan, uh, you can have Medicaid until you're 26, and so I didn't want to lose that um, with with different um, health conditions that I have, and so I decided that I was going to wait. And last year, um, I asked them to adopt me, and part of the reason was that I really wanted my foster dad, not my adopted dad. I really wanted him to walk me down the aisle when we got married um, in August, on August 8th, 
this year. And so I really wanted to say, like, my dad walked me down the aisle, and I wanted to have that moment. And it was something about being adopted um, and making it more concrete, uh, even though they said, I mean, I've known them for 10 years, and they said, um, you know, you're our daughter. They introduced me as their daughter. They say that, they, you know, we don't need support to say that you're our daughter. But at the same time, something for me just always felt like they could leave if they wanted to, and it didn't feel, feel as permanent. And so when those um, papers were signed and, and the judge said that, you know, I'm legally their daughter, it was something so beautiful about that moment. And it was also a great moment because courtrooms have always been so traumatic for me um, just because of, I had to testify against my biological dad and then I went to the sentencing and different things like that. And so courtrooms have always been really hard for me. And then um, to go to the courtroom to get adopted and it being such a beautiful moment um, and just kind of reclaiming that and reclaiming uh, being with being with family. So it was a really beautiful moment and I'm definitely thankful for it. Wow, that's amazing. I, I just absolutely love that. Yeah, I think it's the symbolic part of it of, um, you know, you know, you wanting to be adopted. And, you know, it's it's funny. I remember when Alex came to me, my Alex um, came to me and told my husband and I that he wanted to be adopted. And I will have to tell you, my first reaction was why? I'm like, you know, you're 19. You know, you're never going to leave our family. We're always going to be your dads. We're always going to take care of you. And it was more of that security of having the last name that we have. Um, so I, I just I love that story. Well, and also I feel like it must be the security that nobody that that they're not going to leave. And after being abandoned and going through so many homes and losing your birth parents and all that, that feeling of knowing that you're loved enough, you're adopted, and these people are making that lifelong commitment that they are your parents and they're not going anywhere. That that's huge. I think it was also like a public claiming sort of thing, like. Like, I'm there, even though that they've said it, it's just like, now legally, you're mine. Like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, I love I love that. It's that unconditional love that we talk about so much that so much that I see with the two of you as well. Do you think that, you know, with both of you growing up in the system and, you know, how the system has tried to define each and every one of us as we know that, um, do you feel that there'll be a day that maybe you two might think about adoption? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and Justin can talk more about that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we've kind of already decided that we'll be fostering and adopting. I think that it just, as of right now, it takes more of us just kind of mentally and emotionally preparing. And financially, too, we're not ready to have kids right now. <laughs> you know, so um, I think it's just a matter of mentally and emotionally preparing because of fostering and adopting. We know what it takes being that we are former foster youth and that uh we see it from multiple different angles, being that we are a former foster youth, and her adoptive parents have an adoptive child and the struggles that they've gone through. And uh, seeing it from multiple different angles, we were trying to see how we can best prepare. But it's, it's a decision that we've kind of both already made. We just need to, it needs to be the right moment, and definitely not right, right now because we don't have a, a house of our own. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I will tell you that the, the right moment is never. <laughs> it's never. So we're getting ready to celebrate our adoption day for two of our children. And um, I, I was just saying to Reese the other day, I was like, who would have ever thought that we would be sitting here? And I'm 54 years old and I have five kids and they're under the age of 19. It's like, I don't know if there's ever a right moment, but I will tell you, it is something I'm so, so glad I did. I'm so glad that I, I found the partner who would want to do that that and I'm so glad that we were able to experience the adoption journey and I don't think that we're done I you know I keep reminding Reese that all the time I just 
I don't know. There's something in the stars. I don't feel like we're done whatsoever. You know, one thing I have a question about is, um, so, Alex, did you change your last name? Oh, I uh, not to my adoptive parents because we were getting married um, the next year, and so it just didn't make sense to change it because I was actually born a different name. So though this would be four nineteen, that's oh my a gosh. lot. Um, so I was born Alexis Nicole Salzman, and then um, my biological dad changed it to Alexis Linda Linderman, but he actually didn't change it correctly. And so um, my social security card for years said Alexis Linda, uh, no, Alexis Nicole Linderman. Like I said, the mismatch. And like every year, I, would, I feel like I, everything was mixed. My school records were mixed because um, he didn't do it correctly. And so it's just going through that mess. I'm like, now I'm an adult. I don't really want to have to go through that struggle. And also, going into my identity of being Alexis Linderman, it was already really difficult for me to change my name to Alexis Black. And, and Justin and I, we, we went through that conversation for a long time, um, at least a year of, am I going to change my name, and is it, or is it going to be hyphenated? And I really struggled with that because for so many years, like when um, I think this, for me it was I hated myself for so long, and but then I grew into my identity of being Alexis Linderman, and I made a name to myself under that and grew into that identity, that brand, um, and then to just change it to Alexis Black, it just kind of felt like it was wiping away that identity. Um, and so for at least a year, I kind of went through that process of uh, redefining what that meant for myself of changing my name. It was just like, just to get married. So I didn't want to change it also to be adopted. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I totally get the whole name situation. I actually, I spent a couple chapters in our book um, talking about the whole name thing because for kids like you and I and, and the three of us growing up in, in the system, um, names, I, I love the fact that you said that you attached yourself to a name. I never did. I always felt that my name was just for business. I just was like, and that was one of my scary parts about changing my last name um, when I married Reese was because um, I was scared that I had had found myself in business and everybody knew me by Rob Chastine. And I was like, if I give up that name, am I going to give up my career? People not going to know who I am. And so I remember that night sitting there talking with Reese about the hyphenation. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to rip the bandaid off. (laughs) I'm just going to rip the bandaid off. So so you guys just released a new book called redefining normal. It's the, your first book. Is that correct? Well, it's our first novel. So we did write a book before called The Scholarship Blueprint under the Scholarship Expert, which is a company that we have together um, helping students find and apply for scholarships. But this is our first novel. So um, I love the fact that it's a true story, and I love it the fact that for you know kids who are growing up in the system, kids who you know are looking for that true love, um, it can happen for all of us, and especially with the two of you. You know, tell me a little bit about the book and what gave all of a sudden you two decide. I'm going to write a book because I will tell you as an author, um, and I love the fact that I get to say the word author, even though I have only wrote one book, (laughs) I do have a new children's book coming out next year. Um, but it's hard. It is really, really hard. So, and, and I have to, I give you guys all the props in the world. I've said this to so many of my friends and so many people. When I talk about the two of you, the big difference between the two of you and me is I actually had a writer with me the entire time. So I remind people that I'm the uneducated one who does 
doesn't know they're there and there. Dana, you didn't wear your shirt today. No. Um, <laughs> you know, that I don't know the difference between there, there, and there. So I was very, very lucky. You two actually rolled your sleeves up, pulled out your, your I don't know if you wrote yours by pen and paper or you actually used a computer, but you actually wrote your own book. <laughs> We used the computer. Um, but, yeah, we didn't have a writing coach with us, so, uh, but we did have an absolutely phenomenal editor who really brought our story to life. And last year I decided that I was going to write a book um, mainly after so many people uh, kind of spoke that into me of um, that I should write a book, but I had no idea of what I was going to write it about. And um, Justin was the one who brought it up that I should write it on something that I talk about every day, and which is pretty much healthy relationships. I talk about it, I feel like, at least once a day. And I, to- I told them that this just really feels like a huge undertaking, and I don't think I could do it by myself. It just felt so overwhelming. Every time I tried to start, um, it just get- really got overwhelming. But Justin was trying to help me. He was recording our conversations as we talked about it, uh, so we could kind of use those as notes and, and as a, uh, a starting place of where to begin. Um, but then I asked him, you know, we pretty much do everything together. Do you want to write this together? <laughs> and And then it turned into a larger project of, um, let's get closer together before we get married just because we have so much to work through and still still healing to do. It's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. And we decided that we're going to do this before we get married. This is a way to, to really get closer um, and to work through, work through a lot of that stuff together. So if you want to. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that the writing part for me is exciting, and I, I love the writing aspect of everything. It's just the business part is with the promoting and self-publishing and trying to get the word out and promo and making connections and how we're going to uh, format and publish. I think that's the hard part, and that's a lot of what Alexis has mm-hmm. kind of brought this book to life with. And if it was just me, I would feel like couple print-offs and hand them out to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the business. I'm not familiar with the business side at all, but I think for our next book, just learning from Alexis and with everything that Alexis is doing as far as the business side is a blessing to learn and understand from her. But I love the writing part of things. Like when I write a part, like I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of read our book like three or four times already. <laughs> like I'm talking about the final cut, the final draft. I read it like three or four times. But it's like almost every time I see a book order, or especially from somebody that I know, I always kind of reread a certain chapter or a certain part, or if they have feedback, or not feedback, or, or like, a, uh, like, wow, I love this part. I kind of go back and read what they wrote just to see, try to put myself in the, the view of, in their mind or in the seat of the, the reader and see what they felt. And as I go back and read certain chapters and certain parts, I'm just like, man, this is such a blessing from God to be able to put these words together. And, and really shape our experiences. Like, as I read certain parts, like, I read, like, a couple weeks ago, our chapter on City Kids Travel the Globe, of uh, me traveling for the first time and, Alexis convincing me to study abroad. And I was talking about my time in South Korea studying abroad and me getting um, lost in Shanghai, China on the way there. And the amount of description, it's like, I w- it was just so funny laughing at myself in that moment because I can visualize every single thing that I was going through in that moment and being lost and being in a foreign country. And I described it in, in such a, a, a way that it just, it just excited me. And our editor did a, such a amazing job helping us bring that to life. And it's just that, that's the part that excites me. And that's the part that keeps me going and wants me to write more and write another book. Now it may be a while because this business part is a killer and it's, it's, 
it's taking so much out of us and of course it's expensive, but the writing aspect is just so exciting and that's what keeps us that what keeps me going and that what keeps me, you know, continue to want to want to write more books. Yeah, writing is definitely his passion and his gift that completely from God. Me, I can write what I need to, but that's definitely not what I like to do. I'm more of a logistical, managerial person where I like to be organized, pushing forward. And he's the super write, like super creative writer. Um, and I can honestly say that this book, this book would not be what it is today without him. And I say that because when I write, especially about things like the book, like that's in the book that tend to be more traumatic. I tend to write more of a, like a police report. That's what I've been told where it's like, this is what happened at this, this, and this time, but there's no description. There's no feelings. There's none of those things. And so what Dustin did was he went through the book and had me talk about different things that happened out loud. And he asked me questions and he acted kind of as a counselor um, and just generating ideas. And he really brought all of my parts to life because um, I, it was just really hard for me to process those things. And then to also put like those different sort of descriptions and feelers and stuff like that. So he really, he really pushed that. Um, but then also a couple parts in the book too, specifically there, um, I, I would say that they were too difficult for me to write. Um, and so I wrote them as that police report. And then I described out loud to Justin and he wrote it and I didn't even read what he wrote. Honestly, and I just trust his judgment because it was, it's still so hard for me to even read that. Um, let alone like, say it out loud or anything so I'm working up to that and that's on on my journey to healing um but to have a partner who's so gifted in his writing skills to help help bring this life that I know is going to help so many people well I will tell you that I I've read the book um and I've I am so impressed with it I truly do believe that it is a how do I put it it's for me, it was really hard to get through the book, and I've just got to tell you very like it is, and let me tell you the reason it was hard for me to get through the book, is because I've lived it just like you two have. But I will tell you, it the joy of getting through the book and reading the book is truly, um, it's worth everything every single page every single tier um you know and i know that once you finish writing the book you i mean again maybe you don't believe in this but i truly do is that it 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 was healing for me to write the book in so many ways even though i still believe that there's lots more that i have to work through and i think we all do but i do believe that the book was healing in so many ways for me to write my book did you both feel that way for you yeah, absolutely. And we tell people that 2020 is our, is our year of healing and growth um, just because we have this book that we wrote in two and a half months along with two other businesses and a bunch of other things that we're working on. So it's the growth aspect, but then also the healing of we actually sat down as a couple and cried together. I mean, ugly cried together through so much of the book. And an exercise that we did was, um, as you know, the book is written in alternating accounts of uh, each of our narratives. And I read all of his parts out loud, and he read all of my parts out loud. And so it was a way for us to really develop that empathy and compassion for each other uh, and, and just a deeper connection. And, and let me tell you, there were lots of ugly cries in that. <laughs> well, it yeah, sounds like you two make an amazing team together. You know, where he needs some help, you do amazing at that. And where you need some help, he's able to really put your feelings into words for you where maybe you on paper, or maybe you haven't been able to. So I just think that's absolutely amazing. And it sounds like you're going to have a lot of success writing future books too. 
Yes, absolutely. I can't yeah, wait I to know. see it on the big screen. I can't, I mean, because it is a true love story. It is a true love story, and I can't wait. You know, I, you know, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and I know a particular author who put a book out, and it was like 13 years later that someone picked the book up and was like, oh my gosh, we need to make this a movie. So, so you know, things don't happen overnight, but I will tell you, I could truly see myself sitting back and all of a sudden seeing this book um, becoming a, some type of a movie. Well, speak it into existence. I love that idea, and we've been told that by several people as well, including our editor. And um, she's pushing for it, and we, we love that, especially since our book is so relevant. I mean, we talk about so many of the things that people are dealing with right now, especially, I mean, we talk about COVID. We talk about being an interracial couple and dealing with racism and other things that are so prevalent in our country uh, right now. And, um, yeah, just so many topics that people are, are struggling with and dealing with. Yeah, it is. It definitely brings everything to light. And I also think the fact that you are correct in what you say, it's it's really relevant in today's climate. Um, you know, there's so many things happening. And, and I know five years from now, when people look back and they talk about all oh, during the time of COVID, what did you do? You two are going to be able to say that not only did you get a book written, but you have published a book. And I love the fact that it's self-published. I will tell you, I know lots and lots of people who self-publish books. One of the hardest things in the world to do because you are the marketing team. You are the you are the bookstore. You are the shipping place. I mean, it is a true, true definition of a power of no love. <laughs> listen i saw those pictures when those books arrived and i could see in both of your eyes how excited you both were listen we know that it's national adoption awareness month and you know i say this quite often dana and i both believe that you know every week every day every month we should be talking about kids and we should always be talking about the chance that every single child deserves a forever family and i love the fact that even at the age of 26 um you have been able to find your forever family you know, if there was something that you could tell your younger self, um, both of you, this question's for both of you. If there's something you could have told your younger self, the kid who, you know, Justin, for you, as you're, you know, floundering through the system in Detroit, and, you know, uh, if there was something you could tell yourself looking back now at this, both of you so successful, what would it have been? Yeah, I think this is actually how I end my part of the book, just kind of somewhat of a paragraph or two message to my younger self, and just talking about my experiences of what can carry me through. I would have said that uh, what I said in the book was learn to love the person you are today, not even looking too forward of who you will become. Just learn to love the person you are today and be content and happy with who you are uh, outside of uh, the ideas of who is contributing to your life who is not contributing to your life. Um, be content with who you are and learn and understand that every bump in the road is God uh, putting you through tests and trials so you can overcome and help solve an issue in the world and help impact people who have experienced similar things. So as you go through those trials and tribulations, learn uh, and become mature and learn from your mistakes and learn to do better, but ultimately, uh, love who you are and be content and happy with who God has made you to be. I love, I love that. that. <laughs> I do. Good change, Jimmy. I do. I love that as well. Um, what do you have to say, Alexis? What would you say? 
Yeah, for me, I would say the same thing that I say to every single young person I come into contact with is to continue to seek out mentors and individuals that you look up to and can advocate for you and keep and hold you accountable to the to the goals and the dreams that you have um, and and surround yourself with people that are really in your corner and developing your own community because we have the power to create our own family and our own community that isn't defined by us by birth. We have the choice to do that ourselves. And that was one of the greatest things that I learned from being in foster care. And I, and I want everybody else to be able to feel that as well. Love it. Love it. Listen, everybody, it's Redefining Normal, how two foster kids beat the odds and discovered healing, happiness, and love. You know what, guys? I will say it. This is your second time on our show. I know it's not going to be the last time. We are so excited to have you. We're, I am so, so excited and so proud of both of you that I get to call you my friends. And this book is absolutely amazing. I am telling every, all of our listeners, please, as we share this throughout our platforms, do me a big favor. You want to get me a Christmas present this year? Buy this book. Um, buy this book because I think that you will be like me. Once you get into it, you will not be able to set it down. And it truly, truly is how two amazing humans have discovered healing, happiness, and love. You know, Dana, we've asked this question for them before. So they are a little bit on the spot and know what our question is. Mm -hmm. So I think we should ask it again, though. And um, especially now that they have been going through this redefining normal, and their book has come out, and they really have discovered each other along discovering the path of so many kids who are in our foster care system. So go ahead. If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? Oh, man. I know you guys asked this before, but the question never gets easier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would somehow, if I had like a magic wand, create something that would help foster youth, I would just say give foster youth a community of people who are contributing, who are dedicated to their success, not just superhero parent or a nice couple who wants a kid, but a community of people, maybe a church, um, a community of people, of, of talking like people in the neighborhood, coaches, mentors, foster parents, a circle of people who are dedicated to their success and want them to get better as a person, not from uh, something selfish that uh, they want to look good or be a superhero, I say this child, but just dedicated to seeing them do better. And when they mess up, they will not give up no matter what. Um, and for me, I would say uh, two things. First one would be more access to um, funding for higher education. I know that there's so many initiatives going on right now, and foster across the country have more access to higher education than ever before. But we can continue to do more because it's not just about financial resources. It's also about, again, building that community. And our foster care program that we went through at uh, Western Michigan University called the Cedar Scholars Program, they, they're one of the first of its kind in the country developing a full wraparound program, uh, helping us in every area of our needs, whether it's financial, but then a campus coach there to support us. Um, and really walk us through the, the college um, experience, like financial aid and figuring out where our classes are, just um, even housing over Christmas break and a uh, supply basket when we move into our dorm. Just so many things that, that people don't think about that quote unquote normal kids have when they go into college. So I would say that that's one of the biggest things for me, um, just because I experienced that and I know the importance of how it was in my own story. Um, but then also, especially right now during COVID, I'm seeing. 
um, on my timeline how many siblings are really struggling to see their brothers and sisters that are they're disconnected from, and they're going months without seeing them um, and without even allowed uh, time to see them virtually, um, let alone in person. And so definitely more either legislation or policies or implementing the practice in implementing the policies to get um, those reunifications with the brothers and sisters in the visitation time. Love it. Absolutely love it. Listen, everybody, um, the book is available now, and you can go to Amazon.com and order your copy of Redefining Normal, How Two Foster Kids Beat the Odds and Discovered Healing, Happiness, and Love. Alexis and Justin, again, I am so proud of both of you, and no matter what month it is, I think people could get so much out of this book. So thank you for um, being on our podcast. Um, Dana, um, for all of our listeners, we say this quite often, the best compliment you could ever do is share, 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 and please leave a review. Exactly. Listen, everybody, I hope you have an amazing day. Remember, we all have an opportunity to be a part of the change. And um, that's exactly what my two friends are doing. So thank you so much. I hope you all have an amazing day. And again, please go out and get your copy of Redefining Normal, How Two Kids Beat the Odds and Discover Healing, Happiness, and Love. Take care, everyone. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.